Welcome to the Mayo Clinic Cardiovascular Continuing Medical Education Podcast. Join us each week to discuss the most pressing topics in cardiology and gain valuable insights that can be directly applied to your practice. I'd like to welcome all of our uh, listeners and viewers uh, today for another in our series of interviews with the uh, uh, experts. Um, I'm Malcolm Bell uh, from our Department of Cardiovascular Medicine. I'm going to be your uh, host today. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Dr. Gosha Vamil, who's a consultant cardiologist at our Mayo Clinic Healthcare London site in the UK, who is going to be discussing the role of non-invasive uh, cardiac imaging in the management of coronary artery disease. Gosha, uh, welcome. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's a great pleasure. We're thrilled to have uh, one of our uh, London uh, consultants uh, participate in these uh, um, interviews here. And I, I'm just going to go uh, uh, start off uh, immediately just with the question of why is non-invasive imaging uh, to be considered in assessing uh, patients with coronary artery disease? So this is a very important question. Um, in, as we know, we've got in Europe, uh, so European Society of Cardiology guidance in says um, there are also a clinical guidance um, supported by um, different societies. So a cardiac MRI, cardiac CT, echocardiography societies, and all those uh, guidance support these days the use of non-invasive approaches to evaluation and assessment uh, of uh, patients with known or suspected coronary artery disease. So for many, many years, we used to, uh, to consider uh, an invasive coronary angiography as the gold standard, and it remains a gold standard. However, over the last decade, we managed to uh, develop techniques and different modalities, so Im imaging modalities, to the uh, level where we can um, provide a full comprehensive assessment from both anatomical and functional um, side. Um, so in most cases, um, so we, are, uh, we need to do it uh, by using different uh, imaging modalities um, in a form of uh, sequential uh, single tests, so in a row, uh, to get all the information. But sometimes these days we also um, start using so-called so of hybrid approaches where um, the anatomical and functional test can be combined in one. So the main advantage of using non-invasive cardiac imaging in assessing patients with a history of chest pain uh, is the fact that th those tests are non-invasive um, and uh, that's a major, major benefit. As someone who has been practicing cardiology for maybe too long, I guess I was always under the impression that you know, we were still, I mean, always been using non-invasive testing for patients with coronary artery disease. And, and, and maybe just to make it very clear to our listeners and viewers, we're really talking about elective uh, patients, patients who present with chest pain. We're not talking about acute coronary syndrome. So we're very much talking about the patient uh, who comes to your office, you're complaining of uh, chest pain. So, you know, we've uh, thought about your, uh, I mean, treadmill exercise testing has been around for a long time uh, without imaging. Various uh, nuclear and echo uh, stress imaging studies are available. It does seem, though, in more recent years that there are more and more different types of stress imaging that we could uh, uh, select for our patient. So when we think about all of those choices, uh, what do we need to consider when choosing the right test for a specific patient? 
because obviously we have a lot to choose from uh, today uh, compared to uh, even 10 years ago, let alone 20, 30 years or so ago. Yes, you are absolutely right. So there are multiple factors that one needs to consider, and those uh, will um, um, involve uh, so the clinical setting. Um, your will also um, we also need to consider so patients' characteristics, so uh, the age of the patient, the risk factors, so especially the cardiovascular risk factors. Um, we also uh, take into account comorbidities, and that becomes more and more important in our population of patients, all the patients with multiple comorbidities. Um, the decision also um, takes into account um, an expertise of a particular center. Um, obviously, those tests sometimes even, especially when done in a sequence, uh, when there are um, two or three tests uh, required, those will come with a significant price as well. So all those factors we need to consider when choosing the right tests uh, for the right patient. Maybe we'll just start off with the plain treadmill exercise test without any imaging. Is there still a role for that in, in patients, you know, those who have a normal ECG and can exercise? Well, obviously, we still use uh, treadmill tests, and they have been with us for a very long time. Um, however, we are building strong uh, scientific evidence um, that uh, uh, um, in imaging modalities uh, such as CT coronary angiography uh, or functional tests, uh, so-called stress tests such as uh, perfusion stress MRI, um, stress echo, so the, the butamine or exercise stress echo, will probably um, have uh, will give us a, a, a more reassurance or will identify the obstructive significant obstructive disease better than our initial approach with a treadmill test. So in Europe, we um, moved away from the uh, using treadmill tests in uh, clinical pathways um, when we assess patients with chest pains and those that have coronary artery disease. So these days, uh, we um, uh, use CT coronary angiography as the first line um, assessment for patients, especially those who are not known to have a coronary artery disease. Also for those that would uh, be uh, in a low or intermediate risk group. For patients with a high, in the higher risk groups, based on the risk factors, we would rather choose one of the stress or functional um, imaging uh, approaches. And those would uh, be um, so either in a stress echo, stress cardiac MRI. These days, we also have perfusion CT um, and um, the nuclear medicine. So there is a variety of those tests. And uh, we start believing that uh, to be able to choose between the tests and the to, and and to provide the, um, all the informations and the, um, and support um, the choice of the right test for the right patient, you need to become an uh, expert in multimodality imaging, because only those clinicians who would have a full understanding of all the pros and cons of those different imaging modalities will be able to distinguish between the different factors that need to be taken into account when choosing the test. So maybe you could just explain the rationale for choosing um, a, an anatomical imaging study, a, you know, CT is what you're uh, talking about now, uh, versus a stress test, you know, with, you know, whether it's perfusion uh, imaging or wall motion. And you talked about the low risk uh, patients, you know, for CT and then, then the higher risk for uh, perfusion or, um, or other stress imaging studies. 
Why do you make that distinction? And and does it matter um, you know, on the age of the patient? So with the with regards to the anatomical images, um, so this is predominantly in a field of CT coronary angiography. Um, so with a CT coronary angiography, uh, these days we are able to describe what we call the burden of plaque disease. And that becomes very, very important when assessing uh, a future risk of cardiac event. So in the low intermediate risk groups, in a patients, younger patients, when we are not expecting such a high um, degree of calcifications of the coronary artery, or multivessel disease, then CT coronary angiogram, first choice of a test. The reason why it has been also uh, supported um, um, in the, by the clinical guidance by multiple societies these days um, to become the first choice is the fact that it has very high um, um, negative predictive value. What it means that it's a very, very good test to exclude significant obstructive coronary artery disease, and most importantly, left main stem disease and this is so we share the understanding what he what it means to our patients so within three minutes of a of the scan that is a non-invasive we can exclude a significant disease that requires um management with revascularization um on the other hand um the functional so-called functional tests or stress tests um those uh, um, are very important uh, um when uh, we together with colleagues interventional cardiologists when we make decisions about revascularization. So um, there are those groups of patients when uh, where we are uh, we already identified moderate to severe stenosis, um, where the where we identify multivessel disease, and uh, we require some additional information about inducible ischemia, and uh, the, uh, we want to quantify the percentage of myocardium that is ischemic, and those tests will provide those information. There will be some differences between different modalities. So for example, cardiac MRI stress perfusion on top of the um, assessment of inducible ischemia can also provide additional information about the size of the scar, the viability of the myocardium. It will assess biventricular systolic functions, extremely important in decision-making when we consider a type or um, a revascularization. I think really what you were saying is talking about the ischemic burden, and yet I think that the thinking may have changed with that, that uh, maybe ischemic burden doesn't necessarily uh, identify patients you know, who may benefit from revascularization versus medical therapy. For some time, you know, we, we were really following that, you know, a, a, a guideline or an algorithm, if you saw a certain degree of you know, ischemic burden, that those people would benefit. But more recent trials have you know, suggested that's not the case. It's not so simple as that. And maybe even the atherosclerotic burden, which I think actually is very, very important. You know, and, you know, there's a difference between you know, single vessel disease, 90% lesion versus multiple you know, 40, 50, 60% stenosis in, in other vessels. In terms of, you've been talking about anatomical functional. And when we talk about the anatomical study of CT, uh, tell us now how you're using that with respect to CTFFR. You know, so now you have you know quasi you know physiologic uh, measurement, uh, and we see that reported uh, frequently. And I totally agree with you that you know the uh, the negative predictive value uh, 
of that uh, CT is so helpful, particularly in patients you really don't think need to have any further evaluation for obstructive coronary disease. So, so tell me how you're using CT FFR and, and in a patient that's been identified as having a significant lesion uh, on CT and it's accompanied by decreased FFR. What's your next step there? Is that now medical treatment or now do you need to do further imaging studies when you're uh, stress testing? So I'm an imager. Um, I will be biased in my response. Um, but you are right that uh, we are accumulating uh, evidence from large randomized control trials that will change um, the strategy of revascularization. So we are uh, we will be probably see observing a significant shift in the clinical guidance. Um, and uh, so ischemia trial is an important trial that uh, um, showed uh, that optimal medical therapy in stable coronary artery disease, even in those patients who've got moderate severe um, burden of ischemia, um, still is, um, 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 is as good as uh, intervention. Um, so in a patient where you uh, have assessed uh, um, CT with CT coronary angiography, um, so the burden of uh, plaque disease, and you um, also uh, added an additional um, assessment, so functional assessment with FFR. So so it, the, these days we can use that information as uh, as a standalone information, so full comprehensive assessment, and hand it over to interventional colleagues um, to uh, describe. This is the anatomy. Um, that's the plaque burden. Uh, we can identify an um, a culprit lesion, unstable plaque um, with uh, the advanced techniques, and we um, can back it up with the functional information. So that may be uh, enough to hand it over to um, colleagues in the cut lab. Um, however, sometimes, um, and again, so that may be also related to our evolving uh, um, experience with uh, techniques such as CTFFR. So that's a computational algorithm based on AI um, that uh, tries to um, perform as well as uh, um, you when you perform FFR in the um, cut lab setting. And obviously, um, this is now never going to be um, as good as uh, the invasive type of assessment. So we take it into account. And when we get a positive result in uh, CTFFR that doesn't really um, correspond to the clinical picture or to the assessment uh, provided by the CTCA, uh, so the imaging assessment, then we may question this and uh, um, want, um, we may want to uh, double check uh, the significance of the findings by offering a different functional test, um, such as uh, so stress echo or um, perfusion stress cardiac MRI. So there are those options that we can uh, use uh, in cases where we may question the significance of a positive CTFFR result. Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, you obviously have uh, you know great experience with this, uh, particularly you know using CT and CTFFR. You know now with the the uh, the UK NICE uh, guidelines and probably using it a little bit more frequently than we are uh, here, but we're seeing an increasing uh, you know, uh, penetration uh, of the use of uh, CT and CTFFR in our practice. And I think you know, it really uh, has changed the way we approach uh, many patients. Um, we just got a minute or so uh, left here. Um, do, do you want to highlight any of the, the new innovations in terms of imaging, uh, putting these uh, you know, different studies you know, together in, in so-called you know, hybrid uh, forms? 
So the main weakness of the of the current non-invasive um, um, cardiac imaging is the fact that we frequently end up doing sequential standalone tests, and this uh, makes the patient's journey, the clinical journey, too long. It also increases the cost of assessment uh, of a patient uh, with a coronary artery disease. So to address this, um, there are um, developments um, that uh, will try to um, build a hybrid approaches. So CTFFR is one of the well-known approaches of that sort, where the anatomical and functional information is combined within one test. Um, in the CT field, another very interesting approach is uh, to use um, so a deep learning, so um, artificial intelligence algorithms to try to um, get more information from the standard clinically used CTCA um, by um, assessing uh, what we call peri vascular inflammation. So with a CT, we can um, look at the um, changes in the fat tissue surrounding coronary arteries. Um, there um, have been um, quite a lot of evidence over the last few years um, showing that uh, so-called fat attenuation index, uh, basically looking at the inflammation in the um, fat surrounding the coronary arteries, and by doing this, assessing the inflammation um, within uh, the plaque disease. And with those uh, new biomarkers, it has been shown that we can um, uh, we can not only pick up the, the vessel, the lesion that is most likely a culprit lesion, so so-called unstable plaque, and distinguishing from the highly calcified stable plaque. Um, but we that there have been also very interesting, encouraging reports that those type of assessments, um, so it's uh, uh, much better, has a higher predictive value than the, um, uh, just an assessment of images on the CT um, angiography or um, assessing the risk of patients uh, uh, based on risk factors. So those, those are very interesting developments. Um, in um, the functional stress imaging tests, I think what we are observing is also an um, increased interest uh, in uh, hybrid approaches. Uh, for example, so CT-PET is combined with MRI. Um, there is uh, There are attempts of uh, um, providing uh, um, a very good assessment for microvascular angina, which is such a, an important area um, when we talk about coronary artery disease. So lots of very interesting research. Um, some of this is already has already translated uh, into clinical practice, and I believe we will be um, observing over the next years um, a much more prominent role of non-invasive approaches to coronary artery disease. Well, thank you very much. I, I think that uh, you know our listeners and viewers will really appreciate you bringing us up to uh, to date with uh, you know these new developments. But uh, maybe just to summarize. Uh, you mentioned earlier about making sure this still does correlate with the clinical picture and you know that clinical uh, you know, situation, um, the, you know, the characteristics of the patient are so important. Just putting this all together, make sure that, you know, that the results of our test really make uh, sense. We talked about uh, making sure that you are working with the expertise that's available at your institution, whether it's CT or uh, nuclear or uh, uh, ultrasound. And then making you know, sure that we've got a streamlined you know, process so that the uh, the studies you know can be done really all at once, uh, as you said, make that patient's journey uh, much more uh, satisfying. It also needs to be uh, cost effective. Um, but I, I think we're going to hear a lot more uh, in a, at a time that 
we think that you know CT CA has really helped enormously, which it truly has. But we still have to work out where all these other non-invasive imaging uh, uh, studies fit into that uh, algorithm. So, Dr. Vamil, thank you so much again for, for joining us uh, this morning, and uh, we look forward to some further contributions from you. I'm sure you have a lot more to, to share on, you know, ischemia, and we didn't even talk about viability uh, studies uh, today, but uh, we certainly have opportunities in the future. So, uh, thank you so much, and thank you uh, uh, to everyone for, for joining us. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you for joining us today. Feel free to share your thoughts and suggestions about the podcast by emailing cvselfstudy at mayo.edu. Be sure to subscribe to the Mayo Clinic Cardiovascular CME podcast on your favorite platform and tune in each week to explore today's most pressing cardiology topics with your colleagues at Mayo Clinic. This has been a Mayo Clinic podcast.